Uh, we're so glad that, uh, that you're here this morning, um, and I am too, despite being able, not being able to get myself together in this moment. Um, but like Dr. Weeks said earlier, my name's Matt Briggs, and I'm the family pastor here. And uh, I'm so glad that you could be here this morning. I know it's Labor Day weekend, and we got a lot going on. Um, we all do, but I'm just really grateful that, uh, that you're here and a part of our family this morning. Did any of you try to come to the 9 o'clock service? That all, we didn't have a nine o'clock service today and it feels like every time we do this, somebody tries to show up at nine o'clock. So I'm glad that didn't happen to any of you. Um, but anyway, let's get started this morning. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, we've been talking about what it means to make a difference in the church. We've talked about what it means to get connected in service uh, in ways that help people discover life in Christ. So over the last five weeks of August, we've been talking about putting our feet to the work that God has called us to as believers. And a lot of that is about action and about going and about doing. But as we have talked about that, it's really been pressed upon me that we also need to talk about what it means to rest and what it means to spend time in the presence of the Lord. And so today, as we're in between series, um, I thought it would be good for us to spend some time talking about what it means to live a lifestyle of rest as we look at that through the lens of the Sabbath. Because, man, I don't know what world you're living in, but the one that I'm in right now is nuts. The one that I'm living in right now is nuts. And you can't consume any kind of media. You can't unlock your phone or turn on your TV without seeing something crazy, right? You can't see without seeing something that is just causes anxiety or causes depression or causes hopelessness or just makes you feel drained, right? I mean, if it's, if it's not a hurricane, it's a pandemic. If it's not a pandemic, it's political unrest. You know, it could be anything. And so, man, when I think about um, what it means to get in the presence of God and get refilled, I think in this room and in this year, in the last couple years we've lived, we understand that need maybe more than ever, right? What we need to do to spend time to be filled up in God's presence. The good news is that God gives us a command that can really help us, that can really help us be drawn into his presence and can really help us uh, be filled in him. So let's check this out. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, and, uh, and today is going to be a little bit Bible drilly. And, uh, and so, if, um, so if you just want to follow along on the screen, that's fine. We're going to jump around quite a bit. God's cool if you read the scripture on the screen. I promise he doesn't care about that. All right, so let's read Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So right now many of you probably are like, okay, this guy is about to spend 20 minutes talking to me about the going to church commandment. And so I can just shut down because this is just the going to church commandment. I'm already here and so I can just check that box and I can check out for the day. But I would encourage you to, to hang with me this morning. We're gonna kind of look at it um, from a little bit of different angle as we talk about what it means uh, to Sabbath and to rest in God's presence. So the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which literally means to rest or to cease from work. You know, in early Judaism, um, it was celebrated every seven days, you know, so every seven days they would celebrate, and they usually celebrated it on Saturday, and they would celebrate this time of rest, and they would celebrate it for two reasons. 
First of all, they would celebrate it in response to what God did in creation and the example that God gave us in creation. You know, the Bible tells us that, that in six days, God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. And so in their early culture, they celebrated it because they were following God's example. And the second reason that they celebrated it was a time to get together and to mark what God had done for them by delivering them out of bondage in Egypt. And that's the same for us, right? We come together to celebrate, not only because of the life God has given us and the beautiful world that God has given us, but to celebrate the gospel, to celebrate the life we've been given in Christ, to celebrate that, that resurrection, that defeat of death that Christ has paid on our behalf, allowing us not only abundant life here, but eternal life with the Lord. So we celebrate for the same reasons. So we know this. In this life of chaos and noise that the Bible tells us to take a whole day to rest, to cease, to slow down. You know, God spends a whole commandment on this and there's only 10 of them. So obviously this was very important to him. And you know, this is an idea that's very counter to the culture that we live in. You know, busyness is this badge of honor. You know, whoever is the most burned out is the most successful. You know, you know, you see these um, conversations, you've had conversations with people and maybe you do this yourself, but these people that talk about, oh, I'm so busy, I've got to do this and I might have to do that and I've got to do this and I can't believe I've got to do that and my kid's doing this and oh, I'm so, so busy and I'm so busy all the time and oh, I just don't even have time to think, right? You guys ever been around somebody that talks like that or maybe you talk like that, right? And I think secretly, most of those people, let me tell you something if you don't know, they like that. Like they're not complaining, right? They're, they are just wanting to, to know how busy they are so they, because they're excited about, makes us feel important to be busy, right? But so this burning the candle at both ends has been glorified in our culture and in our society. But I just really don't believe, and it's really clear to me through the scripture, when you look at the life of Jesus, that that was not how God intended us to live that pushing ourselves to the brink of exhaustion in every moment of our life is just not what God intended for us. So today is gonna to be a challenge to think differently, but not only to just take a Sabbath and take a day to cease and to rest, but to have a restful, kind of have a Sabbath mindset every other day of the week as well. So we're gonna look over the next few minutes about what it means, what the Sabbath is, what it's not, and maybe some ideas on how we can follow it together. Cool? Cool. All right, well, let's go to the beginning. Genesis 2, again, here's the beginning of our Bible drill. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You know, so this idea of the Sabbath is on the first pages of the word of God. So right after God creates man, he rests. So on the sixth day, God creates man, and then immediately he rests. So think about this for Adam. I think this is really cool to think about. So Adam gets here to the earth. God's like, okay, here you are. You're here, Adam. Here's your creation. Here's this beautiful world. And the first day of Adam's life was spent in rest. God immediately gives Adam a day of rest. You know, just like God does for us in salvation, God has done the full work of salvation through the cross of Jesus. It's not by anything we can do or accomplish. We just get the benefit of resting and living in that. Pretty cool, right? I think that's pretty great. Anyway, the God eternal, God all-knowing and all-powerful decided that it was a good idea for Adam to rest, for creation to rest. 
And you know, God doesn't need the rest, literally. You know, like we do, we obviously believe that and know that. But we know that God rests on the seventh day to give us an example of what we should do and how we should live. And that's one of the things I love about our Christian faith. God didn't just uh, release you into the earth and be like, okay, you guys figure it out, I'm out. Like he gave us this roadmap. God gave us um, example to live by and ultimately God gave us Jesus to show us how to live and walk in the fullness of his, of his life that he has given us. And so for forever, God's people had lived under this law of the Sabbath, this strict rule of the Sabbath, not doing any manual labor of any sort and spending all day in prayer and in worship. And this was the only way um, that they knew how to observe this law. This is the only way that they knew how to keep the law perfectly, right? And you might, you might know an Orthodox Jew or two that keep the law this way to this day. In fact, here are some things that almost uh, any Orthodox Jew would not want to do or they were prohibited from doing in these times, okay? They were not allowed to do these things on the Sabbath. Planting, they couldn't plow, they couldn't reap, they couldn't gather, they couldn't thresh or extract, no winnowing, um, no sorting or purification, no grinding, no sifting, no kneading, no cooking, no baking, no shearing. I feel like I'm in a Dr. Seuss book. No combing wool, no dyeing wool, no spinning, no weaving, no separating two threads, whatever that means, no tying, no untying, no sewing, no tearing, no trapping, no slaughtering, no flaying, no skinning, no curing, no preserving, no smoothing, no scoring, no measured cutting, no writing, no erasing, no building, no demolition, no applying the finishing touch. And here's my favorite, no igniting a fire. You cannot ignite a fire on the Sabbath. But more curiously, you were also not allowed to extinguish a fire on the Sabbath. So um, if you accidentally start a fire on the Sabbath, just watch everything you love burn because you're not supposed to, uh, to put it out. And so I kind of say this in jest, but man, like this was truly, I, I really don't mean to, to poke fun because they really just, the only way they knew how to operate in this, it was the only way they knew how to interpret the rule of the law well. And they saw obeying the, the law as the root of God's opinion of them. Many believed that the law could save them. And honestly, I don't believe this is a lot different than how a lot of us think today. You know, we think our value in the eyes of God comes from a list of do's and don'ts, comes from the things that we do or do not do. You know, we feel like, I think sometimes, I feel this way sometimes, and maybe you do too, that maybe if I keep my hands clean and keep my head down, then, then everything will be okay, and that God will have this opinion of me, right? As long as I don't mess up, everything will be okay, right? But here's the cool thing about God, and here's the cool thing about what we learn through this, this teaching on the Sabbath is that we, our belonging in the kingdom of God is not based on our behavior. Our belonging in the kingdom of God is not based on our behavior. Our belonging in the kingdom of God is based on what Christ has done and what Christ has done on the cross. And so when we try to live strictly by this list of do's and don'ts and we don't live by the grace of God, I'm not saying we shouldn't behave or shouldn't do the things that God asks us to do. But I am saying this, that God has bought you with a price, with his son, and that's why you belong. Because there's nothing that you can do, no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, there's nothing that changes how God loves and feels about you. And Jesus really put it out there this way in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So here Jesus is clear that he's not come to abolish any laws but he came to fulfill the law. 
So in fulfilling the law, he changed the way that people thought about it. Saying things like this in Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So here's the thing. Here's what I believe Jesus is saying here. The command of the Sabbath and all the other commands if followed in light of what Christ has done lead us to love God well and to love each other well, right? They allow us to love God well and love our neighbor well. So do you think this old way, this way of this uh, feeling the do's and don'ts of making sure you're checking the boxes, what do you think this does? Do you think this helps us love God well? Do you think this helps us love our neighbor well? Let's look at the scripture to kind of take a look at how we parse through that question. Again, Bible drill, Luke 13, 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. So let's, let's stop here. So this woman has had this affliction for 18 years. For our purposes today, let's think advanced scoliosis or something like that. I'm not a doctor. But she's been over and she can't walk and she's been in tremendous pain for 18 years. And she comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, I'm in pain and I've been in pain for 18 years. And Jesus looks at her with compassion and heals her on the Sabbath. If that happened here, right, we, we would be excited if we saw something like that happen here, right? We wouldn't be like, oh man, that's really cool. Oh, but it's church day. You know, we were really not supposed to heal people on church day. So let's just reverse that and we'll do it tomorrow, right? Right? No, we would be excited. That'd be a ludicrous way to think. But for them, for these religious leaders and for these people, they genuinely just didn't know any other way to interpret the law. And so in their minds, this law had been broken and Jesus had broken it right here in this moment. And they really struggled with this. Let's keep reading in verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had hand healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, look at here, he, he talks to the people. He's not talking directly to Jesus, he talks to the people. So I think that's, that's interesting. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. You just see him lecturing them, right? Come on these days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. So this leader takes a moment here and he uses his platform to call Jesus out. He said he should have healed this woman any other day. He tried to publicly shame him for not keeping the letter of the law as he interpreted it. Now for us, I feel like this is something that, that is really real for us today. And maybe we've, we've each been on, on both sides of this, but I think so many times people use the scripture and their personal interpretation of it as a weapon. I think people use the scripture and their personal interpretation of it as a weapon to bring shame on people to try to get them to change their behavior. Does that make sense? I think so many times we, and we can even be guilty of this, um, to take the scripture and maybe even in good intention to go and, and shame people and Jesus shoot people and make them feel this guilt and shame for not living up to how we interpret the scripture. But the reality is, we see Jesus here handle it this way. The reality is, the, the result of time in the Word of God should never be shame. The result of time in the Word of God should never be shame. Because listen, shame, 
cause you to be in the darkness. Shame wants you to hide in the darkness. Shame wants you to feel bad about your behavior. Shame wants you to just be in the shadows. But what the word of God is, is the example we're given over and over again, is the word of God is a light. The word of God is a lamp. And so yes, the word of God is meant for encouragement. And yes, the word of God is meant for conviction. And yes, the word of God is meant to expose things that we're doing wrong in our lives. But that should lead us to repentance and to change and to move forward. It should not ever lead us to shame and into hiding. So what this leader is doing is he's taking his interpretation. He's saying, shame on you, Jesus. Shame on you for loving this woman on the Sabbath. But listen, here's what Jesus comes back with here. He comes with a pretty strong response here in verse 15. Then the Lord answers him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Man, we know that Jesus, of course, he understood the law. He understood the law and the prophets. He was there in the beginning. But he also knew that this woman needed healing. He was both loving God well and loving his neighbor well in his application of the Sabbath. So then, how can we aim to apply the Sabbath well in our lives? We can apply it the way that Jesus did here and the way that Jesus does throughout his walk with the Lord. Not in legalism, not in a checklist sort of way, but in love for his neighbor. Let's see what the scriptures have to say about this in Luke 10, 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You know, this is a familiar story and it's almost always interpreted this one way that Mary has done what is right and Martha has neglected the presence of God by doing all this work. But really, honestly, I think that is true, but I think it's really an oversimplification. Because you look earlier in this chapter, we see Jesus commissioning 72 people to go out and do the hard work of sharing the good news, of sharing the gospel, the work of going of town to town. And that would not have been easy. That would not have been restful. That would not have been ceasing. So obviously this story about about Martha and Mary here is not a prohibition from doing work. It's not a, a prohibition from hustling. We've been talking about serving and working for the last several Sundays. And, but, we, but we do know what it's talking about here is that life is hard. That life can be hard. And walking with God can be hard. It takes work. It takes determination. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Becoming a follower of Jesus is not all going to be sunshine and rainbows. There are going to be difficult days. And it's exactly for that reason that we have to be dependent on Christ. And that's what Mary is in this moment. Dependent on Christ. And that's what the Sabbath is all about because we can't carry the load of the Christian life ourselves. And that's why Mary needed to sit at the feet of Jesus here and be filled up. Because the work of Jesus isn't gonna be fulfilled without Jesus himself. The work of Jesus cannot be fulfilled without Jesus himself. And Mary understood that time in the presence of God and time in rest was invaluable. No matter what anxieties, no matter what's swirling around her, she understood how important 
this was. And that's the same for us. And that's why we need a Sabbath. We need this time to fill up, to refuel, to get ready, to go out there and participate in what Christ has called us to. You know, we have a life full of anxiety, full of stress, and full of worry. And we need that Sabbath to help us refocus on Jesus and spend time with him. We need the Sabbath so we can love our neighbor well and so we can love God well. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says this, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we try to do the Christian life in our own strength, we cannot love God well. We can't really love our neighbors well. I think we can fake it pretty well, right? I mean, we can put on good airs and wear a mask, right? We can, it's a dirty word now, right? But we can, we can fake it pretty well, but we're not gonna be able to live the life that God has called us to without time with him. And Mary understood that principle. And she, even though there was a lot going on, she wouldn't trade that time with Jesus for anything. And that's why we need the Sabbath as well. So how do we get there, right? In these moments, how do we follow and live out this law that Jesus has given to us? You know, I honestly don't, I don't know for sure, you know? And I like, well, thank you, that's really helpful. Glad I came today and listened to you. Uh, but, you know, really, genuinely, I don't. And, uh, and I don't ever want to get up here, and I, don't, and I hope no one else does either, to give you all the answers. But here's what I, I do know, that it is something that we are commanded to do. And God is really clear about that. Here's one thing that I don't think it is, and I kind of alluded to this earlier in the message today. I don't think that we have fully obeyed the Sabbath by walking into this room and attending church and checking that box. I, I do not think that church attendance is what God means by uh, to take the Sabbath. Now, certainly, do I think that church can be a part of your Sabbath? Absolutely. But I don't think we've automatically obeyed God's command of the Sabbath by walking through these doors and sitting in the pew. So when we think about how um, to live out this command, I think this is going to look a lot different for a lot of people. I think rest looks a lot different for a lot of people. Like, for instance, I hate fishing. Like, I hate fishing. It's hot and it's work. But for some people, fishing is relaxing and it's great and you love to fish. And those of you that love to fish would say it's probably because you're not very good at it and that may be true. Um, but it's work for me, right? I don't, it's, not, it's not fun for me, but for others it is. And I think the Sabbath is gonna look different for a lot of people for those reasons is that God has wired you differently than he's wired anybody else, right? And so I do wanna give a few examples to think through and uh, these are not prescriptive. Um, these are just ways for you to think through and maybe spark um, your mind and for God to kind of work in your mind and think through how you might connect with rest and how you might Sabbath in your own life. So first of all, maybe a day with zero technology or entertainment or a day without consuming anything. Like I know this is really a difficult thing, but man, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like everything I consume brings stress almost, right? Or can make me feel inadequate or feel like I'm missing out on something, right? So I feel like putting our phones away and turning off the TV can really be a helpful way for us to, to kind of disconnect and rest and, and let our, our minds take a break. Or a day with people you love, with your friends or with your family. You know, God has given you your friends and your family. Spend time with them, encouraging one another and just loving on one another and just doing an activity 
that you love together. This undistracted time, and again, I would probably do this with phones put away, can be super refreshing. Or, you know, just a time of worship and thankfulness. You know, this can sound a little corny, but this could be as easy as just sharing a meal together and just being grateful for what God has done. Just being intentionally taking a meal together or taking some time together to just be grateful for what God has done. I think one of the ways we really Sabbath well is by being grateful and being grateful for the things we have and being grateful for the things that God has already done for us. Now, I I don't think that that all these things are necessarily perfect examples of what to do. Again, might look different for each of you. And maybe like we make changes like this in small doses to kind of like amend our lifestyle and get on the way to what God has called us to for a Sabbath. Or God might convict you a little differently than he convicts me on this. Um, But what I would encourage you to do in any of it, as you wrestle with these ideas, as you wrestle with what God calls you to do in this time of rest, is to let God speak to you on it because man this flies in the face of the culture around us this certainly you know everything around us says to keep your foot on the gas all the time and if you take your foot off the gas you're going to lose right but I believe and I want to reiterate this that that God does not has not wired you that way so when you feel burnt out when you feel dead when you feel anxious when you feel that way I think that rest can really really help You know, I've talked about this before, and it's so hard to apply. It's so hard to apply. Um, It's so hard to take a moment and slow down and be filled. But man, I, I really do want to obey God's commandment here. And it's not because I just want to be able to fill the checkbox and, and feel good about myself. But the Bible is clear that then when we, when we come from a rested place and we spend time in that presence, of God, whatever that looks like for you. When we come from that place, we can love God more, right? We can be, I can be a better husband. I can be a better father. I can be a better friend. I can be a better pastor when I've spent time being filled in God's presence and not constantly draining and draining and draining, right? Because when we look at the scripture and we look at the Sabbath, we know that God wants us to rest and God wants us to spend that time in his presence. And it helps us love him well and helps us love our neighbor well. And really, is there any better reason than that this morning? Let me pray for us. God, we love you. And uh, we thank you so much for this time that we have in your presence this morning. God, I thank you that you completed your work on the cross at Calvary. God, I thank you that that we can rest because God, we, we belong. Thank you for buying us with a price. Thank you that we belong. And not based on anything that we have done, but based on what you have done. God, I thank you for this command and I thank you for your scripture that guide us and teach us. Thank you for giving us examples to live and work by. God, I pray for each and every life and each and every family in this room. God, I pray um, that you would move in every heart, in every life. God, for those that may not know you this morning, Jesus, I know that they're in the room And so I just pray that you would move and convict and work in the lives, in their lives. God, and for those of us that do know you, God, I pray that we'd be moved to rest. We'd be moved to spend that intentional, intentional time in your presence and being filled by you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.